The Constitution of India ensures equality, freedom, justice and dignity of all individuals and implicitly mandates an inclusive society for all, including persons with disabilities. And yet, a majority of persons with disabilities do not have equal opportunities in India and face several environmental and attitudinal barriers to education, employment, healthcare services and so on. In this podcast, Koshmi Saha speaks to Nipun Malhotra, who was diagnosed with a condition called arthrogryposis soon after birth. Nipun is currently a disability rights activist and talks about his life, work and his thoughts on disability policies in India. So I'm sitting here with Mr. Nipun Malhotra. He is the CEO of Nipun Foundation and I'm going to be speaking to him today about advocacy in the disability space. So Mr. Malhotra, can I call you Nipun? Yeah, sure. Please go ahead. Okay. Uh, Nepal, can we start at the beginning? Uh, how would you describe your childhood experience as a person with disability going to an ordinary school? How inclusive was your school, both in terms of facilities available and the behavior of your parents, peers, and teachers? Uh, so, I was actually born in 1987, and India's first Disability Act, as you might know, the Persons with Disabilities yeah. Act, came up in 1995. So, there was a lot of uh, lack of sensitization and awareness about how to interact with persons with disabilities uh, really when I was born. Uh, when I was around my mother's womb, my arms and legs were fractured and my parents obviously took me to doctors. Doctors did not know how to interact with a child with a disability. They told my parents that Nippon is going to live life, the life of a wooden doll. There was another doctor who told them that, well, it's worth keeping him alive because his neck is straight, but you should not really expect anything from him and blah, blah, blah. You know, because even doctors, and this was pre-Google era, right? So my parents couldn't just Google that uh, what is disability, is disability ka kya matlab hota hai, how will it impact a person's life. Uh, but I think my life changed uh, when there's this one doctor who told my mom that Nipun, even though he's disabled, will never deprive you of the joys of motherhood. And I think it's from that moment on that she took it on as a personal battle to give me a normal or ordinary life. And the first step towards that was sending me to an ordinary school. Uh, now many people, including people in my own extended family, were against me going to an right. ordinary school because they thought I will not be able to survive in an ordinary school. There were people in uh, a social network who even said, why don't you homeschool him? Why would you send somebody like him outside? Uh, but I think both my mother and my father, both of them I think played an integral role here where they decided that if you want to face a normal life later, it's be better if he gets used to a normal life at this stage in his life. And thus started the journey towards going to a normal school. It wasn't easy. There were 15 to 20 schools that rejected me before one finally accepted me for what I could do and what not, and not what I could not do. Uh, this was in Bombay. I used to live in Bombay at that time. Mumbai now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and that's how my school journey started really. Even teachers did not really know how to interact with a child with a disability. I had missed out on most of nursery and kindergarten and had gone straight into class one. And uh, it was tough for me because I was coping up, I was trying to cope up with three years of education in one year. But by the end of class one, I started doing well, I remember. And you know, my teacher called up my mom one day before the results and said, I want to meet uh, you. And she thought that she's going to get a pat on the back because, well, Nippon has done well. But instead, when she went to school, the teacher said, I'm not going to promote Nippon because I cannot read his handwriting. And my mom actually had to tell her that, you know, if you are not promoting him because you can't read his handwriting, it's better to keep him in class one for the rest of his life. Yeah. And sense prevailed, I was promoted to class two and so on and so forth. Uh, School life was both good and bad. Good because I think I got a trailer of the, what really normal or ordinary world is. But uh, also slightly negative because I think children at that age yeah. are not really sensitive. And I think things have improved now. It was yeah. in fact worse at that particular point of time. 
Uh, I've gone through instances where children have tried to choke me by putting an eraser in my mouth. I've been socially ostracized. But what I also realized during my school life is that, you know, if you really want to be in a position of power in society, you have to be somebody who is a giver rather than a taker. And I thought that the best way I can be a giver is that when I play, friends are playing uh, sports, uh, cricket or football or singing songs, if I can, you know, concentrate on academics during those extracurricular periods and start excelling in academics. And soon, by class 6, class 7, class 8, I was stopping the school consistently. And now things changed because earlier children were not inviting me to the birthday parties, they were not even talking to me, etc. Now children knew that, uh, you know, during the exams, I mean, they put a phone karna to solve our doubts, etc. Mm -hmm. And if you're not good to him throughout the year, he's not going to pick up a phone. Yeah. So I think that's how my school life started changing. And eventually I topped the school in 10th, by scoring 87%. In 12th, uh, I topped the country in business studies, scoring 98 marks. So that's really a bit of my school journey. So would you say that as a person with disability would always have to go that sort of extra mile just than say a person without a disability, an able-bodied person just to be taken seriously? I think uh, this is something uh, a lot of people with disabilities and their parents come to me also with uh, this kind of a thing where you know and I think it is sad that a person with a disability has to uh, try extra hard uh, to prove themselves and I think that happens in any minority, right? So there are in various countries, people with a certain religion, maybe I try to I try to have to prove extra hard that yeah. they are loyal to that country. There are people from a lower caste who have to prove that uh, we belong here, not because of our quota, but because but because we deserve to be here because of our academic excellence. For a person with a disability, it's even more uh, there because I think it's a financial burden on a family too if they have a child with a disability because there are extra medical costs, there might be extra caretaker costs, etc. Uh, but message to persons with disabilities really is that uh, do you want to go that extra and I'm sure there will be people with disabilities too who are listening to this podcast, right? So my point to persons with disabilities and on the other hand is that uh, do you really want to settle for a mediocre life or do you want to work, go, go and push yourself hard and actually capture that extra mile? Of course it is not fair that you're expected to do it but I'm somebody who actually started looking at it in a competitive way and started flourishing in it and I know many other people with disabilities who flourished because of that. Uh, how would you say, say your experience of business school was both in terms of how your peers or your teachers behave with you but also in terms of accessibility like for the buildings? Uh, so my school, uh, I think one of the biggest problems in my school, I went to a school in Bombay first and then in uh, Noida. Uh, physically in terms of infrastructure, my schools, both, both of them were not, uh, at least my Noida school was very accessible in that sense. Right. It was more of an attitudinal barrier of students and in some teachers. A lot of my teachers were good too, but there were some teachers who either sympathized with me, which is again bad, or they looked through me, which is bad too. I finished my school in 2005, and uh, it was then time to apply to colleges. And actually speaking, something that you might not know, because I know this is not really there in my official profile that you've read through, etc., is that uh, I studied in a private college for two years for a scrap of paper, because most colleges in Delhi University were not really accessible. Uh, so I got admission into this private college, which I would think, which I think was taking a shortcut in life in that sense. And uh, you know, my parents had to fight even to get me into that college. And to their horror, in 2007, I decided to quit that college and say, I don't want to go to this college anymore. I deserve the best of education. And I applied to Delhi University to, and uh, I remember my CN Stephen's interview because the principal actually told me that Nipun, we love your CV, we want you admitted, but the economic classroom has been on the first of 125 years, and it cannot shift down for one person. And uh, I said, no problem, I'll go up on floor every day. And I used to make people lift up my wheelchair. It was a physical risk to me. Uh, but I used to go up uh, to the first floor every day. And I did that for four days. And eventually the college itself decided to shift the economic classroom down for me. 
And I think my, the lesson that I learned there was really that if you persist, you can really change attitudes of any institution towards you. You know that institution is older than your, the history of your own country in that sense. Right? Uh, after that, I went to Delhi School of Economics. Delhi School of Economics was actually not very accessible. St. Stephen's, I think I had a lovely time once a college was shifted down. Uh, in Delhi School of Economics, uh, in the Economics Department, there's only this one lecture theatre that is really accessible. Yeah. And the college administration wasn't as cooperative as St. Stephen's in that sense, because they forced me to take uh, whatever subject which could be accommodated there rather than me choosing my own subjects. So which uh, exactly and i wanted to study more developmental and more descriptive subjects and i was forced to take up more mathematical subjects which uh, it was uh, it just ha happened to be yeah uh talking about education institutions i've also gone to isb after that i did an executive mba there and despite the fact that uh, isb is not really a governmental college in that sense so it is very accessible and i think a lot of the newer private universities that are coming up like uh, i believe ashoka has also done a few accessibility audits etc are looking at accessibility in that sense. Is this happening because of laws or policies or because people in general are becoming more sensitized or a mix of both? I think it's a mix of both. A lot, Delhi University, every college today, for example, not just Delhi University, every government college in this country today has to have an equal opportunity cell, right? As right. for the RPWI. Yeah. That itself is a first step towards making a college accessible. I, I go to a lot of colleges and I speak there, I interact with students, faculties, and I've actually realized that the equal opportunity cell in the college almost becomes like an internal activist cell in that particular college. What has also happened now is that uh, the 2016 Act, of course, has a reservation for persons with disabilities, but it yeah. started in 1995, right, in jobs. Yeah. So a lot of the teachers and faculty members in colleges today who are persons with disabilities have, have started coming in from 1995 onwards. So they are in the system for around 20, 25 years, and they've reached the position where they can be decision makers and they can push towards making the college accessible right. so that today's students have a better time than the time those teachers had when they were students in those colleges in the 80s and the 90s, I guess, because they became faculty after 95, right? Uh, secondly, when it comes to private uh, education institutions, what's also happening is that a lot of these private education institutions have collaborations with uh, colleges or business schools abroad. And uh, a lot of these international business schools, etc., have much higher standards in terms of accessibility guidelines. Of course, they are way more expensive than the private than the public institutions. So of course, affordability becomes another factor. But right. since you're talking about accessibility here, yeah, I think even the private universities are doing a lot now. Since we're on the topic of governmental policies, what are your opinions on existing policies on disability? For instance, the UDID, the National Database for PWDs, the RPWD Act. Wow, I think it'll be better if we go one by one. Yeah, you asked me four questions together. Oh, so, sure, <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the UDID first, right? Sure. Since you mentioned the UDID, I think uh, the UDID is an interesting concept, uh, and I use the word interesting because I think it's come up with the right intentions. Uh, and uh, there are some people in the ministry who are really driving it now. I think it was really slow to start with, uh, where only a handful of people even in Delhi got the UDID in a year's time. Uh, but now the numbers have started improving and persons with disability have started getting the UDID card. But uh, at the same time, I don't understand the logic behind the UDID card, to be very honest. Uh, firstly, because the UDID card was supposed to be a card that replaces everything else as a person with a disability. But the, rail, the railway still insists on a separate railway concession card for persons with disabilities. Okay. Uh, you still need to have a disability certificate that leads to your UDID. Okay. You still need an Aadhaar card because UDID will not really replace your Aadhaar card. And I think uh, it's become fashionable these days for every government that comes into power to 
add more and more degrees and certificates that uh, somebody really needs. Yeah. Uh, for example, now I'm sure NRC and CA are going to lead to some citizenship certificate too. So, and in today's digital age, you really need so many cards and certificates. Why can't the Aadhaar card uh, just cover everything? Is my personal opinion, you know. And I think it would have been much easier if the Aadhaar. Uh, so that was the purpose of the Aadhaar card in itself was to be one sort of document. Document that, that includes uh, so everything, and I think it's a financial cost. Uh, to the Ministry of Social Justice or the UDID card, that money could have really been spent more on accessibility or on better policies or whatever. If we do have to implement it, we should implement it well. And uh, I am glad that over the last three, four months, they've increased the pace at which UDID cards are given. And how do you think, um, whether it's the RPWB Act 2016 or the national database that has been conceived as a result of it, or other... The national database is a result of the UDID card, right, is what they're making, yeah. yeah. The, as far as the RPWD Act 2016 is concerned, I think uh, it was a very good and progressive act. And I think the one credit that I will give to this government is that they came up with the RPWD Act. Of course, the RPWD Act has shortcomings. No act is perfect. But that's the restriction that you face in a legislative democracy where you cannot really keep hoping for an ideal act. At some point, you have to push the government really to implement uh, and, and table the act, right? Uh, the U India signed the UNCRPD in 2007. After that, the government wasted, the previous government wasted seven years doing nothing with the act. Uh, and in 2016, this act actually came into power. Uh, and so I think the, the one thing I would give this government full credit for is that, that they at least finally decided to come up with a progressive act, which was way better than the 1995 act. But the problem starts as soon as I compliment the government on coming up with this act and uh, uh, tabling it in parliament and having it passed. Because I think the implementation of this act has been very poor. Uh, there are a lot of provisions in this act that said within five to six years, everything will be made accessible. Uh, we haven't really seen much in that sense. This act is weak in terms of its discrimination clauses, if you look at section 3.3. But what is the purpose exactly of having this national database for PWD? The national database, uh, the UDID card has been basically built that it's supposed to be that one card that yeah. that is a connect for all welfare schemes and all that jazz which the government introduces in that sense. But the problem is that all the welfare schemes are linked to some ministry or the other, right? Ministry of Social Justice acts more like a nodal ministry. Yeah. And no other ministries are accepting this. So it's the bureaucracy between ministries that has really got it stuck in that yeah. sense. But yeah, I was talking about discrimination. Like, for example, discrimination is something that has been left as a loophole. Okay. States have been very slow in implementing rules for the RPWD Act. Uh, and also, second, there's not been any consistency in terms of policy implementation with respect to the RPWD Act. And I'm going to give you an example of that. For the example, the RPWD Act in its accessibility section talks about uh, whenever any building is given a completion certificate, it should right. follow the harmonized guidelines issued by the Ministry of Urban Development, the harmonized guidelines which were issued in 2016. Not a single state, irrespective of uh, which political ideology it belongs to, you know, whether it's a BJP state, a Congress state, an AAP state, a regional party state, not a single state has so far changed the building bylaws to include the harmonized guidelines. Okay. So today you can actually get away by creating a building which is not accessible at all, uh, getting a completion certificate because the PWD official will come with only look at the building bylaws and the building bylaws don't even mention accessibility. Okay. So this act has just become an act which, so uh, which is which is kind of spineless in that sense because uh, there are a lot of other laws that need to be brought on. And they don't For example, this act talks about, and I'll give you another example, you know, okay. just talking about examples. And in fact, I'm filing a PIL on this, uh, that this act actually talks about how all content has to be made accessible for persons with disabilities. How do you make content accessible for 
blind people it's from audio description right but the central bureau of film certification over the last four years i have filed multiple rtis there are others who've been fighting about it has uh, not really done much to ensure that movie producers for a movie above a certain budget should release audio descriptions along with the movie right so these are just two examples but i think these two examples kind of explain the challenges in the implementation of the rpwa act right on the on the topic of pils uh, we do know that you have filed quite a few pils with the supreme and high courts um can you tell us how the judicial system accommodates you as a person with disability whether also in terms of accessibility in terms of other is there any discrimination that happens at the level of the of the judiciary against persons with disability I don't think there's any discrimination as such that happens in the judiciary with respect to persons with disabilities. Of course, accessibility to courts right. is a challenge, both for persons with disabilities and people without disabilities. For persons with disabilities, it becomes more exaggerated because it's not just the financial cost, but it's also the physical accessibility cost, right? right? right. A lot of courts are old heritage buildings which are not really physically accessible to persons with disabilities. And in fact, I've had the pleasure of doing accessibility audits of a few courts, so I actually right. know. the kind of challenges uh, persons with disabilities face while accessing courts and what people don't realize is that it's not just that the courtroom that has to be made accessible but there's a lot that goes on right, right. The, the place where you file exactly your case the place where you have to get your uh, form made when you are entering court etc so every point of contact where uh, a petitioner or a lawyer has to interact with the court should be made accessible you cannot just look at one thing and th- say that it's accessible yeah. though a lot of courts in india feel that hamara court accessible court room so we are accessible judges don't realize that there's a lot more that goes on into it as uh, far as uh, getting justice is concerned i think uh, persons with disabilities don't face any specific challenge which is more or less compared to others because we we face the same challenge that any other petitioner faces which is uh, it's of course a roster of judges some yeah. are more pro disability some are less pro disability just like for any other cause in that sense the indian judiciary is time consuming <laughs> and it's time consuming for whether you're disabled or you're not disabled so i don't think there's anything specific in that sense right so let's circle back a little bit um let's talk about what drove you to become an activist activist was it a particular instance was it an incident and um, you know what role does does your disability have in your life as an activist no i think uh, it's definitely my own life that impacted me to become an activist i am not somebody who at the age of 10 said that uh, went and told my parents so mai ko activist banna hai mujhe person with disability se fight karna hai you know it was not it's not that, that that kind of a story it, i mean when i was 10 in fact i wanted to be a cricket commentator i loved cricket you know and yeah. harsha bogle was a pen friend and i thought that <laughs> i want to become india's next harsha bogle because i i can't play cricket but i can commentate on cricket uh, but when i was in delhi school of economics i actually decided to do it for placements and uh, when i sat for placements i saw the discrimination persons with disabilities faced first hand uh, including being uh, rejected by company because they wanted to test whether i can sit on a wheelchair for 8 hours a day right. which i thought was bizarre because i want to win ordinary school i want to mainstream college i want i'm doing my masters another who said that uh, we don't believe that these are academic qualifications so we want a letter from your principal and saint stephens and a letter from your department head in d school saying that you are actually doing all this and you're not forging okay. your cv or whatever which is again humiliating and i walked off a third that when we go through seven rounds of interviews and then eventually said we don't have a disabled friendly toilet so it's better not to hire you and when i told him that i can control my bladder and i'm used to it they said no no you might sue us tomorrow so it's just safer not to hire you uh, and i don't even thought of suing anybody at that time since then i've sued a lot of people of course, <laughs> of course. 
but uh, yeah those things kept happening and i was disappointed i was rejected but uh, i think that eventually pushed me to do what i am doing so in your opinion in india when we talk about disability whether it's in terms of advocacy accessibility sensitization and so on do you think people take into account the diversity that just the term disability encompasses do you think that is something that we have started taking into account or we still sort of we have actually i think uh, if you look at india's Disabilities Act, both the act that came up in 1995 and the act that came up in 2016, they actually list down seven disabilities yes, in that yes, case and yes. 21 in this case. If you are this, this, or this, you are disabled, right. which itself is restricting disability, right? I mean, if you look at a uh, lot of the uh, more Western or developed countries, there's no blanket definition of disability, in, but they look at the social model of disability, where right. disability is any barrier that exists in society that prevents exactly. the full inclusion of a person. Uh, in society, and that's why the onus is more on society. Right. I think uh, India has gone from the ch- uh, moved away from the charity model of disability, and uh, thank God for that. But uh, we've moved towards a medical model of disability, where we're still restricting right. disability yes. according to certain brackets. So when you're only looking at those twenty-one disabilities, now when you uh, when you go down further, when you look at quotas and jobs, the, right. you further reduce the number of disabilities. Because I was actually reading somewhere that. Uh, some disabilities like hemophilia etc are not even recognized amongst the disabilities that okay. even though they are there in the RPW Act 2016 yes. they are not recognized while uh, during the 4% quota for jobs then further down when you go in for accessibility audits most people don't even know what an access audit is yeah. so when you talk about a ramp yes they'll know that if you make a ramp the building will be made accessible right. but even a ramp they won't know that it, the ramp has to be of the ratio 1 is to 12 Okay. they'll just think that ramp banana ek formality hai banao to ramp to bana diya humne apna kaam kar diya and that's it okay. so i completely agree with you but i think the problem starts much earlier in terms of framing the law itself yeah. and even though i complimented the government for the rpwd act 2016 and i continue to compliment the government because i think change is never really drastic right you don't yeah. move from a to z you move so from a yeah. to b to yeah. c and i think i understand that so the 2016 act is way way better than the 95 act but this is i think something that it gets wrong yeah it does it does when it comes to listing the number of yeah, exactly. it does it's it has its shortcomings even uh, societal progress leads to a lot of temporary disabilities etc because there are a lot of uh, disabilities that are coming up because of the way people are sitting in front of the computer every day yeah. uh, neck yeah. problems etc yeah. so i think society leads to societal changes so lead to a lot of uh, yeah yeah especially in terms of poverty and all when yeah. you are, and you even the corona virus is not a disability it's a virus but it's yeah. just an example about how a society is moving forward there are various new problems that keep coming up so do you want to sit with a law which was made in a particular year and it defined disability or do you want to have something which is flexible enough to include anything that uh, exactly. over time comes up so if we can get back to you on a personal level how do you negotiate your individuality in an ideological space that is constantly trying to put you in a mold like you know you are a person with disability and that comes with a set of ideas but you are still an individual so how do you negotiate that uh no i think that, that that's an interesting question i have not been asked this question very often so i'm glad you have actually asked me this question but i think uh, when you look at any individual they are uh, way beyond just any one thing right i think everybody is a complete human being and a complete okay. individual and that's why it's a person first before a disability and i think i'm somebody who's been lucky to have uh, had both family and friends with whom i don't even discuss my disability like for example a lot of my friends you know they tell me that when you were when we are having dinner with you when we were chatting and we were sitting with 
in a glass of wine or whatever we we, we don't even realize that you are a person with disability because that's that's i think sometimes uh, both persons with disabilities and their own families to get into this sympathy trap you know yeah. where they start thinking about the disability all the time but for me my disability is just another identity just like for example that i'm an indian or the fact that i'm a resident of the ncr so nepon you worked with a lot of different kinds of organizations you know structurally that have ranged from corporations to startups ngos etc what are your opinions on the startup culture of india in terms of say giving opportunities to pwdas in terms of the activism space have you noticed a difference if at all would you like to comment on that uh i don't know what exactly mean by the startup culture in india giving opportunities to persons with disabilities because the definition of startup also in india keeps changing in that sense but i think uh, there are some industries that have really led the way in terms of giving opportunities to persons with disabilities uh the tech industry is one of them okay. a lot of uh, technology companies are focusing more both on persons with disabilities as customers and uh, as employees so they're making the products and technologies accessible they're also ensuring that they're hiring persons with disabilities the hospitality industry is another industry that has hired a lot of persons with disabilities they're a big employer of persons with disabilities because they also realize that uh, hiring persons with disabilities makes customers feel that they that there's a larger purpose with this particular institution and that's why they're empl- employing many more persons with disabilities as far as the startup culture is concerned uh, actually a lot of startups that are now coming up that are actually especially catering to persons with disabilities uh there's a tra- there are a couple of travel companies that have come up that are planning holidays for persons with disabilities and the elderly there are a lot of uh, software companies that are specifically making softwares for people with uh, both learning and intellectual disabilities a lot is happening in the education space in that sense so yeah there are a lot of startups catering to persons with disabilities in that sense and i think that is great yeah. because uh, persons with disabilities can be a big customer to anything in that sense um so nepon what are your future plans in the activism space for instance you know do you want to or uh, do you have any aspirations to work in the educational vocational training sectors or pwds what is the way forward for you so i always believe that there are three challenges persons with disabilities face and i like to call them the three a's right uh, which are attitudes accessibility and affordability so i think removing all these barriers and trying trying my bit to reduce these three barriers of persons with disabilities is uh, what i'm trying to do for and i think it doesn't necessarily have to be from the activism space it could also be softer in that sense right, right. because for example i came up with this video and i'm sure your listeners can actually google search it as a search for baba baba wheelchair nipun okay. they'll find it on youtube it's actually a kind of a parody video trying to change attitudes towards persons with disability mm-hmm. so yeah i think these are the three areas i want to work in i would i would not like to bracket it into anything like educational or, or vocational training or anything but anything that really serves the purpose of solving these three challenges that persons with disabilities face is how i'd like to spend my time okay thank you thank you uh-